Welcome, everybody, to episode 104 of the No Normal Show for Thursday, May 20th, 2021, brought to you by Revive Health. This is our weekly deep dive into how hospital and health system marketers can navigate what we call the No Normal. I'm Chris Bevelo, Health Systems Practice Lead at Revive Health and your host for the show, joined, as always, by Chase Kleckner, who is Senior Marketing Manager at Revive Health and our show's producer. Hello, Chase. Hey, Chris. Good to see you, as always. Good to see you too. And we have two esteemed guests we're very excited to have with us. First is uh, Karen Wish. Karen is the Vice President of the Mount Sinai Health System and Chief Marketing Officer of the Mount Sinai Hospital and Health Network. Karen leads the marketing efforts, efforts for the health system, which includes eight hospitals, more than 7,200 physicians, including general practitioners and specialists, 13 freestanding joint venture centers, and a continually expanding network of multi-specialty services including more than 400 ambulatory practice locations throughout the five boroughs of New York City, Westchester, and Long Island. Karen, can you can you quickly rattle through all the addresses of your locations for everybody? <laughs> I've got it, Chris. No problem. Thank you so much, Chris and Chase. We are really excited to be here today and look forward to the conversation. Yeah, thank you, Karen. And we also have your colleague, John Davey. John is the Vice President of Marketing Technology at Mount Sinai Health System. Is a seasoned marketing professional with more than 15 years of experience successfully implementing digital marketing strategies designed to meet strategic business goals for world-class health systems, academic medical centers, and research institutes. Hello, John. Hello, Chris. Great to be here. Yes. Looking forward to the conversation with both of you. As always, we've got some housekeeping notes to get into. Uh, if you are new to this podcast, to this show, this is where we share industry trends, research, stories from folks like Karen and John uh, from both inside and outside the industry, anything we can bring forward that helps health system and hospital marketers and communicators navigate what we call the no normal successfully. And even though fingers crossed, it looks like things are going the right way to emerge from COVID sometime this year, uh, the way we think about the no normal and that period of uncertainty, we're actually gonna be living that for, for, for maybe months, if not years, after, probably not too many years, after COVID goes away, because it's going to take some time for the dust to settle to understand really the implications for our organizations, our industry, our consumers. So if you want to know more about that, uh, check out a blog post if you're live with us in the chat function. Chase will be using the chat function for those of you joining us live to post uh, links to what we're talking about. It's also a great place if you're with us live to chat up the other live attendees. She can have conversations on the side. With all of that out of the way, uh, again, super excited to have Karen and John with us. Uh, and they uh, have graciously agreed to talk to us about how they and their colleagues at Mount Sinai are thinking about moving past the no normal and the future. Uh, and some of the challenges they faced in thinking about that. And this is a little bit of an audience participation moment. So if you're with us live, you get a chance to dictate how the show is going to go. There are three different topics uh, that Karen and John are willing to dive into. The first is how they're thinking about brand moving forward for the organization. The second is how they have thought about centralizing their marketing function. And the third is about their focus on digital and how important that is uh, in their purview uh, or their perspective for moving forward. So Go ahead and vote. You've got a poll in front of you. Let us know which one you want to start with. Is it brand? Is it centralizing marketing structure? Or is it digital? 
All right. I'm going to get some more in here. Tight. It's a tight race. All right. I'm going to, I'm oh, going to no. call it. Yeah. It's all right. It's good. It's spread equally, almost equally among the three so that we've picked the right topics, but it looks like we should start with brand, uh, which is a, probably a good place to start. So I don't know, Karen or, or John, who wants to start in, but talk to us about how you're thinking about brand and some of the things that you're considering as you move forward, future focused from Mount Sinai. Yeah, Chris, thank you so much. I'll kick it off. And then obviously, John, uh, feel free to jump in at any point. So when you introduced me, Chris, you did set the stage, but I do want to repeat an aspect of that for the audience so that everyone here can really understand the breadth and the depth of our organization. So we are a health system. We have eight hospitals and some of those hospitals are new to our system. There was a merger in the 2014, 2015 timeframe. And as we all know, in the healthcare world, it takes time for uh, institutions that merge to actually truly systematize and come together. We have 400 outpatient practices throughout New York City, Westchester, Long Island, 7,200 physicians. We have a school. We are, unlike many academic medical centers, we actually birthed the medical school just over 50 years ago. So if you think about universities, many universities, prestigious universities have schools as a part of their makeup. We created the school and we created the school with the intent to provide the best possible interventions to patients when they came our way, to literally close that gap between research and patient care. So we're complicated, we're a complicated system. And as the marketers leading this way, we had to start at the beginning. When we think about the brand, we first had to understand who we were, who are we, right? And that's not just as I described you, it's thinking about us and our strategic priorities, our areas of focus that really drive impact and drive investment. So this is a theme that you'll hear throughout the conversation today when John and I are talking. We defined our focus as a marketing and communications organization to really rest on three pillars. One is actually defining our brand so that even though we're 170 years old, we needed to crystallize that information. We are, the second pillar is being committed to growth because we need to bring patients in. And the last is organizational excellence. So brand is foundational to who we are. And there's a whole process around that. And I'll pause for a second just to see if there's any comments or, or questions at this point. I do have a question for you really quickly, because I think this is something that particularly those that are in an academic medical center or an academic medicine environment um, have to face the, you know, the kind of triple mission of, a, of an academic organization of the clinical side, which usually is the dominant side um, in terms of however you want to measure it, the number of employees, revenue, um, but also the, the education side and the research side. So can you, can you just speak real quickly about how you guys think about that in terms of what your brand should focus on or reflect uh, or, or whether that is a challenge that you guys have to face uh, in terms of thinking through those, those three different parts of an of AMC? What I would say, Chris, is really that the intent behind the brand is to serve as a unifying force for all three of those elements. So 
when we speak about brand purpose or positioning, really the definition of that is crystallizing what the brand stands for and how it's different and why our many constituents should actually engage with us. So whether we're speaking about clinical care, research or education, that common thread, that foundational element is the brand. And that's what makes it so challenging, right? Because so many people, so many people jump right into advertising, right into developing the materials that talk about what they wanna promote. But what we have done is we have stepped back and we've taken a very thoughtful process, at least we believe it's thoughtful, to engage many, many constituents, the different audiences that we serve, to listen, to understand, to do the homework, to define that brand purpose, which really I like to think about it as the soul or the DNA of the organization. It's not something that necessarily appears externally, but it is foundational to who we are and the platform by which everything else can be developed. Uh, just John, yeah, please on, jump in. Yeah, jumping in on two points of that. I think we haven't always done an excellent job of that uh, at least in the time that I've been at Mount Sinai, obviously we have had new leadership under Karen and and uh, David Feinberg. Uh, but uh, in the you know early days of my time there, I think Chris, we did overfocus, like lots of places do, lots of academic medical centers do naturally on the revenue side, on the clinical side, and uh, uh, there's lots of good reasons for that. Um, you know, why you should do that as part of the, of, um, the prioritization. But what we found, I think, is that you left out, as Karen says, we're talking about the, the brand is the soul of a place. The school really is the heart of, of the institution. It's, um, you can use lots of different metaphors. It's the hub that everything else spokes out of. It's where all the research um, comes from. And uh, a lot of the innovation is generated I think it's uh, it became really uh, really essentially important that this time around we do it right. And and the other point I'd I'd make just to amplify what Karen was saying is you have to begin to listen um, in you know in the discovery phase at what is the soul of this place, and you can talk to a lot of different people. We have forty two thousand um, you know employees. Uh, lots of people would have lots of different opinions, but you have to find the one commonality uh, that is authentic to, um, to what we are and what we do. And that's, it's also, so it's a challenge, but it's also a really interesting process. I'm kind of laughing because you said there might be some folks with different opinions. Exactly. Um, you know, there, there's nothing harder than trying to navigate uh, an academic medical setting uh, in terms of trying to get buy-in uh, for anything, anything you're trying to do, right? Uh, so, so maybe speak a little bit to how you are engaging or, or have engaged the organization as you've worked through brand. So we've engaged by communicating. We've engaged by listening and by being very transparent about our intentions. And I think by also being respectful for the different, A, by understanding and also being respectful to the different leaders and understanding their roles. So what I mean by that very specifically is that if we're speaking with the head of operations or strategy within our organization, we 
make sure to understand their lens by which they're thinking about their priorities and their initiatives. And then how does what we're bringing forward relate to that? If we're speaking to a chair of a service line, for example, they have needs, they have priorities, they have focus areas. And so how does this information connect with that? And I will say to John's point, um, it's hard, right? It's really hard. You start this process and you don't really know where it's gonna take you, frankly. But what we've done is engaged the different constituencies along the way. As we've evolved, we've given updates. We've said we've hit roadblocks. I mean, clearly this pandemic put a, put a, a, a refocus on everything for a period of time, but yet we are back at focusing on defining that brand and bringing it to life with the many, the many audiences that we have to serve. One, and one note on that, I think the pandemic also in, in a strange way helped this process because it helped us understand what we are as this unified um, place uh, where the school was creating innovations, was creating uh, research advances in real time that were directly connected to the clinical side. And all of that, it became very clear um, how Mount Sinai at that point, when, especially when the epicenter of the pandemic, especially the first phase was on New York City, you know, we could see how even we were a bit different from our local comp competitors. And there's obviously lots of world-class competitors in our space in New York. Uh, so I think in some ways that, that also did help us to understand because we were in the thick of it and, and you could see what we were, how we were uh, uh, handling this uh, you know, challenge of a lifetime. Yeah, um, and what a challenge it's, you know, I guess it's a silver lining, um, you know, because nobody, nobody would have wished anybody to have to go through this at a, at a country level, at a world level, global level, uh, but it has forced us to relook at things. It has forced us to really uh, look at all kinds of things where it's organizational brand, whether it's some of the other things we're going to talk about, like how you're structured or how you provide access people to disparities and all of that. So, you know, capitalizing on the the door that's been opened, I think is really important. And Karen, you said something that I think is really important, especially for the heart of brand work, at least in my opinion, which is brand positioning. Uh, it's usually the most difficult thing to go through because uh, if you're doing positioning right, it, it's all about focus. Uh, somebody once said, and I and I and I don't remember who it was, but I'll give them credit. You know, the the enemy of brand positioning is the word and. Uh, you know, we're going to be the fastest and the cheapest and um, the highest quality pizza place. Pretty much tells you they're not any of the three, right? Uh, and you said um, one of the tricks with this process is you don't know where it's going to take you, uh, which is true. But also, I think. For people that go through this, it's important to embrace that because by embracing the idea that the, what's at least approaches like a blank slate, you leave your mind open to possibilities that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have if you feel like, look, there's only a couple of things we could be here, or there's only a couple of kind of positions we could land on. Um, that idea of um, celebrating, I'm not sure this is going to take us, uh, but let's let's jump in and buckle in because that's the point. Uh, I think is really amazing. Talk a little bit more about how you guys approach brand positioning and any guidance you would give to folks that are contemplating that are going through it themselves right now. 
Yeah, so again, that speaks, Chris, to the whole idea of the engagement, right? So we held a series of workshops. We had one-on-one -on -one interviews. We, um, when we got to a certain point where we thought we'd crystallized what the positioning was, we tested it. And then we went back and we modified it. So it was sort of this, this painful exercise, I will say, as we went back and forth and back and forth. And now, even as we're beginning to share it with many constituencies around the organization, we're really hearing, right? We're listening, we're saying, boy, you know, boy, this is how they're seeing that. And, and let's go back and look at that language and, and really get it right. Because at the end of the day, all 42,000 of our employees need to see themselves in that positioning. They need to, it, it, if it is our internal constitution, if it is the makeup of us, people have to relate to it. So we're working really hard at getting that right. And then, then the exciting part comes, right? The translation into advertising or into messaging and to employee engagement. We're working closely with our HR team. That's a whole other aspect of this to really, really roll out what it is in our vast system. Yeah, I'd add one thing, Chris. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, oh, go ahead. The other um, thing I've seen during this process a couple times at a couple academic medical centers throughout New York, there's a there's an educating up and around portion to this process for you know the average employee from faculty on down and around to lots of other roles. They're not really aware of what a brand position is versus a brand versus the logo. I think we've probably all seen this. And so as part of the process, as part of the listening, there's also an opportunity to just to begin to define terms and educate why those things are different and why the differences are important. So I think that's um, a really uh, key thing to include in, in that part of the process. Thinking about our, uh, our own team, right? Under the leadership of Dave Feinberg, we have a team that really touches on um, its marketing, its, its press, its digital. It's, um, we have our own finance and, and administrative operations team within our marketing department. And, uh, there are service lines. You know? So within our own team, where we are really uh, pumping out a lot of content and a lot of information at any given moment, we have to have that consistency. So it really does start at home. And I, and I don't wanna lose that point if we're giving advice to others to make sure you engage your departments and really make sure that that buy-in exists right at the very beginning before we spread out further. Yeah, and I'm sure there are people that are chomping at the bit to ask if you could share your positioning or how you want to go to market. And we know we talked about this before we got on live that it's coming. I think you said in June, there'll be something public. Um, so don't want to tip your hat to that ahead of time. Very fair. And I want to, I want to talk a little bit about structure. I want to go to the next topic, but before we do that, is there anything else that either of you want to talk to on brand uh, that you think is important to share? No, I think that's probably a good, a good transition point, Chris. I was going to throw my joke in there when John was talking about <laughs> education, which is, and I've used this joke forever. You know, if you ask, if you ask 10 people, the definition of brand, you get 10 different answers, but if you ask it in healthcare, you get 20 different answers from those 10 people. Um, so it is still true today when I first told that joke, well, however many years ago. So uh, I think it's really important to, to acknowledge that. All right. So department structure, uh, super hot topic. This was a hot topic honestly, before the pandemic, because as we know, our industry has been going through transformation um, at a significant level before the pandemic hit in terms of um, trying to move to value-based care and embrace technology and digital, 
uh, and reimbursement pressures and consolidation and on and on and on. Um, and that all kind of boils down sometimes to how do you build your brand, the resources you have, the marketing resources. So I can say just from talking to CMOs and, and having um, conversations or sessions like our Joe Public Retreat, that marketing structure has been a front burner topic for uh, at least a few years. Uh, but now it is, I don't know if what's in front of a front burner. It's on the floor because it fell off the stove. It's even more forward facing because the pandemic has caused either challenges with budget or increases in budget and responsibility because a lot of us have experienced that or force us to rethink what the heck are we doing? How do we show up and how should we show up differently? So, so why don't you all talk a little bit about you know, what you faced in terms of thinking through your structure. And importantly, I think uh, a big part of it for you all was decentralized marketing structure versus centralized. Sure. I'm glad to kick it off. So I think a fundamental concept is that staffing is largely determined by strategy. So when we go back to what we spoke about earlier on, brand, growth, and organizational excellence. So we don't forget those. We constantly are thinking about that. And we also knew that when looking back over the last 12 or 15 years, when um, David and I first joined the um, health system, we realized that the marketing department was built in such a way, it was almost like a house without an architectural blueprint. So there was this need chairs would see the need to have, oh, I need this brochure. I, I need someone to do my social media. Um, I need someone to do X, Y, Z. And they would hire people. So our team became this dispersed entity, right? There was always a core central team, but a lack of trust and a lack of cohesiveness in terms of many of the very important stakeholders working with central marketing. So we really had to understand that. We had to understand the gaps that were missing so that we could think about how do we create a structure that worked for this organization? And I would say some of the principles that we really leaned into, again, and this is specific to Mount Sinai, but that we knew we had outstanding talent on our team. That was one of the first things to figure out, like who's doing what to whom and how is it working? And is this a good thing or a bad thing? We have a very, very gifted and talented marketing team across the board. So we wanted to have a fundamental principle of retaining that talent. And we wanted to retain our relationships with our chairs. So just imagine, right? Like Chris, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk into your house and I'm gonna say, hey, listen, I wanna take your marketer from you who you've had working for you and who you've trained and you, you really think is doing a great job. So that wasn't the best way to do it. We really had to think about how we were going to bring in some of those central marketers, centralize some of the capabilities that they're doing without damaging the chair relationships. Um, not eroding trust fundamental principle. I think the other thing that we used as a guiding force is that we wanted to be scalable, right? So if we, if we were gonna make an organizational shift in some way, we wanna be able to, to have it work throughout the system, right? So what I mean by that, a specific example would be with our service line model, we've really created a service line structure 
And where possible, we have templates. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time someone says, I need something. We understand what the business priority is. We understand what they're trying to accomplish. And then we as marketers give the expert advice. That's what we're working toward. And I think that we, the other really guiding principle is to stay aligned with the business objectives, right? To support reputation, volume, and the commitment to that. And I, the one thing I, I would add to all of uh, what Karen just uh, stated about this is just as sometimes you have to define what brand means and brand position, uh, what we found, and this is true all over, I know, uh, you had to define what you mean by marketing. And oftentimes there's the concept of all these folks, department chairs, administrators, lab heads, et cetera, institute leads, they, um, their understanding of what marketing is and when they've hired people and they have people there uh, embedded in their, in their area doing what they think is marketing, it's not always marketing. Um, often cases it's not. And so part of that process is defining inclusion and exclusion criteria for what is marketing, what isn't, and how can we come up, we're the marketing professionals, and how can we come up with a, this new centralized model that we'll ask you and work with you, Chair X, what your business needs are, as Karen was referencing, and then we'll come up with the best way to, to apply different marketing tactics to that business goal and when a measurable um, you know, way. And, uh, and all those other tactics get kind of uncoupled from what is considered marketing because they're not marketing. And then, you know, they can be, those needs can be met in different ways. That, that was really also, that is a really important part that we're finding. And John, yeah. I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because we, we have been on a road show. Um, Dave Feinberg and I are leading a course at our medical school that is teaching what is marketing. And so we are, we are spreading that information widely around the organization as best as possible because it's, and I will tell you just anecdotally, I was at a dinner when we were having dinners in person, uh, sitting next to a chair and he's, you know, and he said to me, he's this very brilliant physician scientist. And he's like, you know, I've had this marketer, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? And I was like, well, that's awesome. Let's talk about that. You know, let's really, so there was an openness to the understanding of what the discipline truly is. And I think the idea of, dem to John's point, to demonstrating what marketing is, we are the experts. I'm not gonna tell you what scalpel to use, right? Don't, don't tell me which color to use. So, the, or, so let us figure that out. And then the whole idea of really showing results. We show results and we communicate. That's the other, the other I've said it a couple of times and it's just incredibly important to stay connected. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Mark, we call it marketing, marketing, right? It's just so important. And I love, I love that you're going right to the, to the crib where the little baby lies to try to, to get nip this in the putt, right? Where they're coming right into the organization for the first time, you're starting to help them understand this is what we mean by marketing and not after they've asked for 10 billboards and you're like, yeah, that's not going to work for the toe jam surgery that you happen to perform. <laughs> um, can I ask you something specific? Cause we have seen this in some other organizations and I wonder if you, you had the situation um, and if you did, how you dealt with it. And that it, it typically happens more at AMCs than, than other systems. And that's where you have um, a chair 
you have a department that funds a marketing position or two. Uh, sometimes th that's just off over here and you have to figure out how to manage that. Might not be under your purview. Sometimes we've seen that um, where they're like, look, I want more attention. So I will, I will help you expand your staff, but that person is mine because I'm going to fund them. Um, which even in that situation still handcuffs the marketing function leader because they're unable to wield the team maybe in the most effective way. If that person is exclusively for the toe jam department, I'll just keep with that metaphor. Excuse that. Um, do you guys, did you guys have that situation? And if so, how do you manage it? Yes, yes. And yes. And the, so we've managed it on a continuum, right? So on one end of the continuum, our hospitals have had their own marketers and we worked really closely with the hospital presidents. This is in progress right now. So we are, we are still very much proving ourselves, but we took the bold step of saying, we're gonna centralize the hospital marketing function and we're gonna take the money with it. And so that's what we're doing because, and the argument behind doing that is really that we can create efficiencies. We can spend things much more wisely we learned, for example, that there were multiple contracts with the same video vendor. How does that make any sense, right? So there are tremendous efficiencies that can be gained and also the ability to utilize our central team more effectively. So we centralize those resources. When it comes to the actual departments and the house that was built without the architectural blueprint, we do have a hybrid model, right? Where possible, we have dotted line reporting relationships into central marketing. We've consolidated monies where possible, but there are select circumstances where that's just not quite able to happen. However, in all cases, we have collaboration. So that means that there is a uh, head of central marketing, Wendy Chasen on our team, who a head of service line marketing on our team, who is really a key point person for helping to navigate, navigate those complex situations. But we're gonna prove it. We're gonna prove the efficiencies over time. It's, it's the only way to truly manage the brand, to manage the growth and to deliver against what the entire system needs in a thoughtful way. I won't ask you, John, you probably have the answer to this. So be careful of your facial expression when I ask it, because it'll give away. Um, <laughs> my favorite example of this is, is, and I don't know if this still happens, I bet it does somewhere, uh, is folks not realizing that the different variant marketing departments, either by region, by site, usually it's by site within a region, like for SEM, Google AdWords, they're, they're competing against each other, literally, you know, um, bumping the price up for keywords because they're both going for the same thing to promote the same services at different facilities. Um, the realization when people find that out is always like, oh, holy bleep. Can't believe that's been going on for however long. So, so yeah, hopefully that's not something you guys had to face. No, it is unfortunately. And uh, that's the, I, I know that that's the case in so many places, so many places I've worked and it's, it's, it's like a understandable ignorance. They, they really don't, it's, it's a perfect example of what we're talking about because the people who are making the, these decisions are making these decisions in little silos. They don't realize there's a larger, um, you know, world out there that they're just one part of and they're actually um, becoming less effective and they're actually wasting money uh, on that. It's, it's the perfect example of why to centralize. Um, and, and why decentralize the control of this digital, it, it has to be, we, we came up with, uh, working with our agency partners, 
we came up with this concept of this, what we call the matrix. It's this large document that shows every single component part of every single uh, location and uh, center uh, throughout the whole health system. And we've um, built into that all of the different campaign components for each of those to see where the intersections are. There's a column for zip code um, and uh, you can see where the crossover is. And then you, you can see where, oh my, my gosh, we're, we're competing against ourselves. We would be here. What can we do to get around that as a system? And uh, you can't do that when you have just embedded people floating around out there, just you know reporting up to their uh, boss who doesn't really totally understand what this business is. And, and, and me, it, yeah. It, yeah, I was gonna say too, John, just if I could add to that, because um, it just made me think of this important concept I don't wanna lose where, in addition to, to serving the entire system and having a matrixed view of that, I do remember standing with you at the Javits Center looking at the different glass and saying, we need a matrix that we have to create. But um, that our own team, right? This process actually started with our own team in terms of organizational consideration. And one of the things that came out of a survey that we did with, when listening to our, our team members was we are not prioritizing things. Everything's coming in left and right. How do we know what to do? So we've had to think about our organizational changes, the centralization of the hospitals, the linkage of the departmental marketers, the creation of service line modeling, so that we as a team can prioritize what's coming in and serve our stakeholders as best as possible. So are we there yet? You know, I'm, if anyone's listening on the call, they may give you the real answer, but I think that we're really trying, we're trying hard to get there and we're making strides toward those goals. All right. So keeping an eye on the clock, I want to, we could spend all day talking about digital. Uh, we just kind of dipped our toe in a little bit, but um, I want to focus on one area that you guys um, have brought up in our conversation, and that is the front door, the digital front door. Maybe just spend you know the next five minutes or so um, sharing how you guys think about that and some of the ways you want to move forward. Because obviously, there's many other components of digital or the experience, uh, whichever way you want to go with it. Uh, but where those two collide uh, at the at that digital front door is so important these days. Yeah, I think it's it's Chris. It's a a really good place to start. And again, I, I, this is now I'm realizing it's my theme that unifies all these three sections. It's having like defining terms and realizing that people have lots of different definitions in their own minds for what they mean by these, these terms. So digital front door, it can mean so many different things for every business, for every um, realm, obviously including healthcare, including clinical healthcare. And uh, I think we have to first start by stating the obvious that the real digital front door for, for most of our customers, for patients is, is Google and is, is, uh, are the, uh, the major search engines. And you know, we see all the same stats uh, that everyone else has seen that you know, over 80% now of, of any of our prospective customers or their loved ones you know, start online with the search and they don't, they don't necessarily start at a health system. They certainly don't start a health system in these competitive markets like ours, like New York. Uh, even if they've been given a, um, a diagnosis and a, they've been given a, a name for a referral, they're still doing that research. And that research is so key. And so once they do that research and once you know, you've given them all the information that they're looking for, you've answered all their questions and they've decided, okay, I'm ready to choose 
to, to receive my care at, at this organization, then you wanna make it as easy for them as possible. It's all the same cliches that everyone's talking about. They're so used to you know, making a restaurant reservation so easily online to book a plane, uh, to book a flight, to book a hotel. They can do all that and they're expecting the same level of ease of access um, for our uh, industry and our services. And the analogy that I use, which is kind of heavy handed, but it's to me, it makes sense is it's like when you go to Home Depot or Lowe's, like we have these, these stores with these amazing products, right? We have world-class um, products that we want to sell, but there are these giant um, airplane hangar sized locations with many different rows and levels and you and and uh, oftentimes we make it hard in healthcare just like Home Depot does like to try to find someone to help you find your product um, we make it almost maybe even more difficult and meanwhile these are these are prospective customers who are often oftentimes they're in a really emotional state they've just received a diagnosis they're scared they're anxious and we're making it really hard for them and we have the right product for them we we do we can help them that's the thing so the digital front door is really creating a way to make that um, interaction as easy uh, and meeting the needs of the customer of the patient as as much as possible um, as smoothly as possible and lots of people are talking about lots of different ways to do that obviously the, your website is a component part of it. Lots of people are looking at standalone uh, native apps for this. And I think, uh, you know, there are good decisions that you can make to go in any one direction, but I think there's not one, any one solution to it. And there's, pr it's probably a multiple um, prong solution. There's no one digital front door. There, there are multiple ways uh, to get in, to let people into your health system. And you want to have each of those be um, as, as you know, well-built and have uh, as easy access um, to, to what, what our customers' needs are, knowing that they're not all sophisticated techies. Um, so you also want to have uh, access points that uh, are easy for, um, for lots of different people with different levels of uh, technical literacy. And to add to that, John, if I could, it's not one size fits all, right? So it is this concept of, depending on the disease condition that you're navigating, you have different information that you might need. Access is access, but then how do you get to that right product on the shelf? Ultimately, you know, you're gonna take different pathways and you need different information. So, so thinking through the UX and user experience is critical and, um, very, very complex. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the, that is really that, like I've seen some health systems, we won't uh, state names, but they focus so much on, on the tech part of it where they're like, they're so proud that they've built some tech platform and they spent a lot of money building it and it was all, you know, well-intentioned. But again, we can't sell tech. That's not what, that's not our business. And we can see over the last year, tech is big tech companies and other tech, other companies have tried to come into our space and it's a very difficult space for that. So what we're trying to sell is our services and use tech to, to connect these folks to those services right. as easily as possible. Yeah, that's right. And in, in so many clients that we've worked with, we've tried to reiterate that, John, exactly. You know, this, even in how you brand, say like virtual visits or you try to market them, um, the value isn't that it's virtual. 
That's not the value to the consumer. The value is convenience, it's ease of use. It's, I can sit here and do this without having to go somewhere. Um, that's that's possible because it's, first of all, it's possible, made possible because of the technology, but the technology is not the value. The technology is a means to some end um, that is actual value to a consumer. So uh, it's easy when you're on the inside and you're working, you know, you're in the middle of it to forget that, oh, by the way, this is, this is who this is for, right? Um, yeah. Anything, any last thing you guys want to add before we wrap? This has been fantastic, by the way. I'll add one other thing about uh, the last year. You were talking, Chris, about silver linings of this, of this really difficult year for everybody, especially for all of us working in health systems. Um, I think that there have been, I'll give two examples. You, you referenced telehealth. So that concept, as we all saw, became much more adoptive because people had to. We had to offer that. Um, and the other little example I gave from this year is QR codes. So QR codes were, were mm -hmm. dying on the vine. And then, right. and then look what happened because now when you go to a restaurant, you got to scan a QR code and even my parents can, you know, can do that. They're very educated and intelligent <laughs> people, but they're not the most tech savvy people in the world. Um, it's this year did in other ways help us and push some things along, sped up some of the evolution of some of this, again, back to digital access. And I think that will help. It will help the patient too, because they're more comfortable with these access points and we just have to capitalize on them. So just throwing that out there. And I, and I would just add that we should take, you know, John used the term silver linings. We should take the good of what we've learned from this past year and remember it and think about how we can bring it forward. And, you know, the one word that comes to mind, which our dean actually is an expert in this area um, from a clinical perspective, but it really is resilience. I mean, it's a term that we've heard used over and over again, but, but our teams, our, our healthcare teams have just done such an extraordinary job to, to help us navigate through this, our communicators, our marketers. So, you know, let's all think about what we've learned and how we can bring those best practices forward as we go forward. Yeah, and I love the like hashtag hello QR code. You don't even think about that. It, it is interesting. I don't know why that just fascinates me, but like every time you fly, at least on Delta, there's a QR code for my boarding pass, right? I've got to imagine that that's going to be one or the primary solution for vaccine passports, where it's it's linked to a secure place where somebody's validated your vaccine and you're walking in to see a, I don't know, who would you walk in to see now in, in live? Who do you guys, that's what I'm going to leave with. Next live show, who are you going to go see? <laughs> who do you want to see? Wow, that's a great question. I'll kick us I'd off. See, I'd love to see a concert. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Who do you want to see live music? Who, who? Chase, go. You yeah. too. You too. There you okay, go. there you go. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Ben Rector, if you've ever heard of him. Uh, so um, would love to go see him. I'll say Wilco, my favorite band. Wow, nice. I don't have a specific band, but I've used this answer before. <laughs> the closest dive bar with a 80s hair band like hair cover band i don't care who they are doesn't matter you know, there. doesn't matter it just they just have to cover 80 it's, been that, hair it's metal. been that bad for you huh <laughs> yeah it's been it, that is that to me is the peak of post-pandemic bliss is that scene in my head so i'm actively searching karen and john thank you so much thank for joining you. thank you yeah that was fantastic if you would like us to cover something on the next No Normal or one down the road, let us know if you're with us live still, put it in the chat function. Otherwise, you can email us ideas if you're listening in via podcast at no normal at thinkrevivehealth.com. Remember to visit our website, 
uh, for anything about Revive Health, specifically for the podcast that's at thinkrevivehealth.com slash no-normal, COVID-19 resources of which there are hundreds, I don't know, probably hundreds of- Yeah, yeah, I guess we've had a hundred podcasts plus all the blog posts and research and all that. That's at thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. And until next week, good luck out there in the no normal.